You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com. Back in September of this year, news came out that both shook and shocked the Broadway theater world. Phantom of the Opera will be closing and have its final performance in February 2023. After 35 years, the longest-running Broadway show in history, this iconic show was going to be leaving the Majestic Theater for good. Now, that closing date has since been updated to April 16th, no doubt due to the increase in ticket sales after that initial closing announcement. Nonetheless, the end of an era is near. I've worked with many a performer who have never known a Broadway without Andrew Lloyd Webber and Phantom of the Opera. This show was the first musical I ever really fell in love with. I mean, that cast recording album has sold millions of copies. I certainly played it ad nauseum in high school, and it was a big inspiration for me wanting to not only pursue theater, but actually set my sights on a Broadway career, which has yet to come to fruition. But my guest today has been on Broadway with this show for 15 years, and he'll be sharing some fascinating and funny stories from his long tenure with Phantom of the Opera. Hi, my name is Jeremy Stoll. I'm from Modesto, California. I currently live in New York City. I am a cast member and a cover for The Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. And I tour the world with my very own personal Broadway band. Jeremy is actually the final guest for season six. And he and I first met doing Gaston at Disney World down in Florida. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, Will Swenson is another Broadway actor who's been on this podcast, and he and I also shared guest on duties during my time at Disney. But Jeremy left Disney World and came to New York a little bit before me, and during his years with Phantom, has performed the featured part of Passerino in the ensemble, the supporting role of Pianji, and has also played the two leading roles of Raoul as well as the Phantom himself. And we talk about what has kept him at the show for so long and the various opportunities, experiences, and mishaps it's given him these past 15 years. I went into the office after the scene and the stage manager looked at me in absolute awe and said, I know I'm supposed to say something, but let's just bookmark this as an isolated incident and move on. I I don't even know what to say. Welcome and thank you for joining me for another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, an award-winning Top 25 Theater podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer talking with fellow creatives each episode of personal struggles and professional hardships with lessons we can all learn from. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can subscribe to bonus episodes and offer your own financial support to the production of this podcast. Again, that's why I'll never make it.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Welcome, Jeremy. It is a joy to see you again. It's been a few years, but I'm so glad to have you on the podcast and get to talk about a little phantom today. Matt, I am so glad to see you. I appreciate you having me. It's uh, it's it's a joy to catch up on our lives because I met <laughs> you at the beginning of my career. And uh, right, nice right, it's been twenty plus years now that we've known each other. Exactly, it's wild. Right, because we met at Disney World, both doing the part of Gaston and the in right. that little thirty-five minute Beauty and the Beast, and so that was really toward the beginning of when you were starting out. That was my very first job. It was right the very day I graduated college, I started the job. And uh, what's nice about it is neither of us look any older. We just look exactly the same. And I'm very happy about that. We are ageless. Exactly. I know. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun job, man. I, I think about it a lot. Do you miss those days of Disney? I do. I miss, I really miss them because we would do the shows and I don't know what we do two to three a day. And, uh, and then we just had the rest of the day, right? So we had a nice apartment in Florida and we had free reign of all all of Disney. And so I think, I think I covered every square inch of that entire campus, everything. I I took advantage of every moment I could in that place. And uh, it was like being on a, a year long vacation. It was a very cool job. And so was it from Orlando that you then went to New York or were there things in between? I went back to California and taught choir in high school, if you can believe that. Yeah. Tell me about it. Um, (laughs) That was also awesome. I loved it very much. Um, Disney is not where I wanted to be. I always wanted to do uh, Broadway shows. So I was very focused on, on that. And I had a opportunity to come teach at a high school for a little while so i took the opportunity to go and i moved back to modesto and taught for two years and i waited tables at night and i scrounged and scraped together every dollar i could to move to new york i I was very focused (laughs) i look at that guy and go man (laughs) right i remember my first few days especially once I finally moved to New York. Yeah, like I was up at 6 a.m. I was at those calls. I was doing it. I was doing the one-on-one classes. I was like busy my first two or three years here. Was it the same for you when you moved here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was. that was back in the days when we would get a newspaper, right? Remember backstage? Right, right. You actually had to go through, right, yeah. yeah. We did the whole circle with the red pen kind of thing, and you stand <laughs> in those lines, and they were all over the city, and you had to kind of choose which is the most important or which one you can probably get into and uh, kind of decide from there if if there was an audition that day. It was wild. And the 6 a.m., everybody's standing in line with the oh sour gosh, face and a cup of coffee. <laughs> Right, right. And just like, you know, leaning up against the wall, just getting a little nap as you wait for the <laughs> for the audition That's to it. finally open up. Oh my gosh. If, if you were standing in those lines, you were definitely dedicated to this job, to this <laughs> industry. Yeah, I will say that I do not miss those days. It's very nice to uh, to do everything online now. Exactly. And for you, you have now been with Phantom for 15 years which has been basically your life here in the city. And so what was it that finally propelled you into Phantom to start your journey with it? I tell you what, I struggled when I got here. Uh, I moved to New York with a hope, a dream, and a tube of chapstick. And I was booking things around, not around town, but all over the U.S. Little little shows, three weeks, six weeks. It, It was a great time. But it wasn't a living. And then I got married and I felt that I needed to provide. And I wasn't really, I was just getting by and I wasn't really uh, providing at the time. So I decided I'm not going to do this anymore. And I, I decided I quit and I threw my audition book in the garbage and I was done. And I started uh, going to school for graphic design. And then I got a call from Phantom and I said, no, thank you. Oh, wow. I've been in for you guys for like 10 years now, once a year, twice a year. If you don't know me, you don't want, <laughs> what, what are we doing? What is this dance? Right. So what my wife at the time uh, said to me, 
why are we in New York? Why do we pay these outrageous prices and struggle like this if you're not going to go in for this audition? It's like, fine, I'll go. And I went. So they basically they gave you the sides of every song and everything the Phantom sings. I didn't open the packet because I'd been singing it since I was 16. It's like, what do you want to hear? What tempo? What style? What kind of you're like, I, I, I knew everything. <laughs> Yeah. And they said music of the night. And I went in and I sang it. And it was funny because they I sang it and they looked at me. But what so what was different in this audition was usually you sing for uh an assistant or somebody who's going through a great amount of people and picking out who they want to present. And I never got picked out. In this case, I was in front of the um head conductor of England and New York, and then the head casting agents. And I stopped, I sang the song and they looked at me and went, wow, why haven't we seen you before? (laughs) (laughs) Don't you love that? Oh my gosh. I love it. I think the steam, I I was able to not show the steam coming out of my ears, but it was, it was rather frustrating. And then, so after a week's worth of auditioning, I uh, shifted gears and uh, got that job and my quitting didn't stick. So I then did a Broadway show. Well, I mean, Phantom of the Opera is one of those shows. I mean, obviously, it's been around Broadway 35 years now. And and for me, I mean, I discovered when I was in high school, I, I bought the albums. I was obsessed with Michael Crawford. So I bought all of his album. I mean, I was like into the show. It inspired me to be like, oh, I can do this for a living. This is what I want to do. I want to be an actor. I want to go into musical theater and do this show one day. Did you have the same similar connection to it? Or when did you discover Phantom yourself? That's a great question, man. Um, I discovered Phantom in when I was 16, 17 in high school. Was and That's when I started theater. I didn't know what theater was or if that, that was a, a thing at all. Like I kind of roped into it. Uh, but then I discovered Phantom, interestingly, because my uncle loved the recording of it uh the soundtrack and he was playing it in his car the whole weekend that we were hanging out and he put it in at first and i went what is that what is this oh my god what is this what are you listening to it's phantom of the opera what is phantom of the opera what is that by the end of the weekend i had to have the book and the of course and and so i loved it i was i was that kid and and then I was told that people do this for a living, and that was it. I was in. It's like, okay, you can make a living at hanging out with your friends and singing and dancing. Uh, uh, how? Where? Where do I sign up? Obviously, you took a few paths into teaching, graphic design, but theater was your focus from then on. It was my focus, but it was. Uh, I didn't have a lot of help, so I came from a family who doesn't do arts, music, anything like that. They didn't know how to guide me. My school didn't know how to guide me there wasn't really a uh, a lot of people who have gone on to do it in my town so i basically was like a big-footed puppy walking around and knocking over everything and making every mistake and mess in the world um i i went up to sacramento to the sacramento music circus which also i didn't know what that was but i went with a friend to see a show up there and it was on a scale that i've never seen in my life i was like this is an epic scale of people here i want to be in this and uh, i walked up to a guy that was selling the season tickets and on the season for the next year was les mis and i looked at him and i said i want to be in that show can i audition for it and he looked at me and he laughed like are you kidding and (laughs) and how old were you at this point 18 17 18 okay um i didn't know that tours came through so he looked at me and he was the uh his name was leland ball um, he was the head of Music Circus. He looked at me with this eyes like, are you, <laughs> is this a joke? Like, where's the cameras? Are you kidding me? And he just realized that it was genuine and I really wanted to be a part of it. So he goes, okay. And he gave me the number to the casting director at the Music Circus. And I called and I said, I'd like to audition for Les Mis. He goes, well, you can't really audition for that, but we have a whole season um, would you like to come and audition in Sacramento? Okay, sure. Of course. <laughs> so I did. And I found myself in the ensemble at the music circus the next year. It was ridiculous because I, I had no clue. Oh, my God. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Sometimes it's annoying. But probably in this case, it was both. 
Right, because if you know Music Circus, if you know their history and their prestige among regional theaters, you don't just walk up to people. And you don't just talking. walk up and go, can I be in your show? <laughs> and, and I did. And, and I did even worse than that. He gave me an appointment and I said, oh, cool. Can I bring my friend too? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, sometimes that, as you say, ignorance is bliss. And so you don't have these preconceived notions of what it can be. So you're just, you're just going for it, which that kind of freedom can be great. And I think it is great. I think that if, if I knew how silly I was or how naive I was, I don't know if I would have went on. I would have been embarrassed or instead of just like, plunging through blind as a bat just going for it crazy so when you're in new york then phantom finally comes along you get it was this broadway debut everything you wanted it to be funny question man i i don't know about you but when i was younger i always had this (laughs) do you ever do the the tony speech in your head and the and how it's gonna go when you finally achieve that goal well i always had the the idea of that when I got my first Broadway show, when I finally got the call that I was going to basically run through the street. So happy, like, yeah, I did it. I'm here. And I, and I actually was just like, they called and they said, we'd like to hire you. It's, it's even worse. They called me. I went in, the audition was for the tour and they called and said, we're not going to hire you for the tour. We'd actually like to put you in the Broadway show. And to anyone else, that would have been the greatest news on the planet. I I kind of put the phone down on my shoulder and went, are you serious? After all this time, God dang it. This is whatever. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. <laughs> you were disappointed. I was like, this is how this goes down. This is how I booked my Broadway show instead of the 45,000 auditions I've been through in the last seven years. The one that I said no to because it, there's no, I, it, I don't know. But it, it took me a minute, maybe a half an hour, an hour, and it kind of started soaking in. And then I started calling my parents and they were excited. And and so then it was all good. But at that moment, I did not <laughs> run through the streets whatsoever. <laughs> right. It kind of had to sink in about what you actually had finally accomplished. And so that was 15 years ago. And it's, you know, fandom has been your home for a long time now. And I mean, for most Broadway performers, they hit a show, maybe a year, you know, a few contracts, and then they move on to other shows. And But you, you've stuck with it. What has kept you at fandom so long? Isn't that funny? Uh, well, several things kept me there. Um, stability, because I've had a taste of struggle for a long time, and the stability was glorious. At first, I wanted to move on to the next thing. But then I really didn't want to take that risk. I want to just sit for a while. And then that became more of a while. And that became more of a while. I did get to leave. They, they're they very nice about letting us go in and out of the show to do little projects. Uh, so I did leave and I did a big symphony of Music Man in California. I did The Hunchback of Notre Dame with Disney and their album. So I took a little stint for that. There's a few summers in Wichita. And that was fulfilling. I had my own concert while doing it. So I kind of took that job and said, you know what? I'm going to stay in here, create this stability and raise my two children that I had during the show and then do side projects as, as long as they'll allow it. And I think this is a, a fine living for me. You go in and out of, of love with it. And there's, there's a struggle and there's a, a mental mindset. It's not like you walk into the show every day and say, I'm super glad to be here. Some days are a struggle. You go, what's happening? Why am I I'm doing the same thing every day for 15 years? And then some days you walk in and go, I've been doing the same thing every day for 15 years. <laughs> and yeah. it's, uh, I don't know, what kept me there was, how could I not be there? What else am I going to do? Well, also, Phantom, as opposed to these other shows that only last two, three, maybe five years, Phantom has been there 35 years. So there is a stability that that show has had that most other Broadway shows do not have. So you can stay there year after year and feel like it's a home. It's your career is Phantom. I was offered other things, other shows, and um, either I didn't believe it would last and then I would be right back at the bottom looking for another job. Or I didn't like it as much. If you're going to pull me from the show that I absolutely love, it better be good. 
And in some cases, I I thought, I don't love that show. I I don't know if I want to dedicate my life or (laughs) my income to that. And I don't think it's going to last. And I was right. I watched so many shows load in and I watched them load right back out and <laughs> and shows that passed me up too. I, I'd be in a final callback for a show and it's say, all right, well, you know, they didn't take me and I'd watch them load in and I'd watch them load out. Bye bye. <laughs> right. And I was in Phantom the whole time. Is there one of those shows though, that had it worked out that looking back and be like, that, that would have been a good show to do. Huh? It's funny. There's there's shows that you go in for and you think I want to be a part of that, but then you go watch it and you go, oh yeah, they chose correctly. <laughs> they, they, yeah, that, that's yeah, a great cast. There. That's a really good cast. No, I I can't right now. I don't recall anything like that. I think there would have been a few projects that have been fun to be a part of, but yeah, like Light in the Piazza or all of the Rogers and Hammerstein shows that came out. Anything that a big sing show. I like those. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde, I would, it's funny. I love Jekyll and Hyde. And I, I know it's, people are very polar on that show. Either they <laughs> love it or you just really roll your eyes at it. And I, I love it. But it was here for so short of a time. It, I'm, I think I would have maybe wanted to be in that one, but I'm glad that I didn't because uh, that would have been a very short term of employment, which would have been sad. <laughs> very true. Very true. Epic, but still, yes, Epic short. Epic and very short, yeah. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, let's get to your first story that you wanted to cover. And this is, you know, Obviously, fan of the opera, the big title character himself is Phantom. And this is one of the times when you were Phantom. And one of the most iconic images of that is the big gondola ride. You know, he's taking Christine down to the depths (laughs) and you have the candles and the fog all around you. But in one of the performances while you're singing Music of the Night, an unfortunate incident happened during that gondola ride. Tell us about this. I can either confirm or deny the truth of this story. But had it happened, I can tell you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, it's just tragic. I, it's one of those moments that, to give you an idea of how this moment was, I went into the office after the scene and the stage manager looked at me in absolute awe and said, I I know I'm supposed to say something, but let's just bookmark this as an isolated incident and move on. I, I don't even know what to say. Um, so as you described, the phantom does take the girl, uh, he grabs her through the mirror and he takes her down to his basement apartment to really impress her. And then they get on uh, the gondola boat and he's floating on the lake. If I am trying to set up the scene without, <laughs> without my body, it's interesting. Um, and, you know, candles come up to the floor and there's fog and it's, it's really spectacular so we're on the gondola and we're doing the phantom of the opera scene and we stop the boat turns around and i say to her sing sing and i was like sing higher sing higher sing for me she sings notes the dogs can only hear it's it's a great scene and then you get over to the music of the night and it's a very cool dark mysterious song it's it's slow and it's got all the dynamics and high and um, a lot of falsetto notes and just the most beautiful setup ever. At the end of the scene, the Phantom reveals a mannequin dressed in a wedding dress. And the wedding dress then falls forward and she faints on the floor, right? So she's laying on the floor because that's her staging because she's fainted. This is a, Actually, this is one of the parts of the show that I have a problem with. <laughs> it's like when women, when it gets tough, women just faint, right? It's like, oh, my God. I have a daughter now. And I'm going, this is this is not right. This is not right. Right. This but is not she, what women really do. Yes. Yeah, that's right. They will fight. They, so she falls <laughs> on the floor 
and she's fainted. So the phantom goes to cover her with his cape and he walks over to the gondola where he's done this whole swish thing where he pulls off his cape and his hat and he it's this absolute uh, showmanship with, with the cape and he lays it so flat on the gondola. So he goes back over to pick up the cape and he swooshes the cape over her on this musical cue and it floats down in this perfect wave like uh like a, a feather falling on the ground right and it covers her and he says help me make the music of the night and he points over to the left side of the theater to uh interestingly enough an exit sign over on top of box four whatever that's the music of the night and it's a beautiful scene but this night that I did it, we did the whole thing and she faints and I walk over to the gondola and I pick up my cape and I grab it with my two hands and I swooshed it like I'm supposed to on the music. Well, there's two little strings on the cape that wrap around our back so that it will hold over our shoulders really tightly and secure. And I swooshed the cape, but those little strings wrapped around the pole that drives the gondola and i tell you there is not a magician on this planet that could have done what i did it wrapped around and i swooshed the cape and it picked up the pole now this is a wood dowel it's a two inch wood dowel it's about six feet long it's huge but it picked it up and it sent it into orbit right it's flying across the stage oh like a helicopter gosh. blade in a perfect perpendicular in that perfect horizontal line across the stage and of course that pole could have gone in the orchestra it could have gone over off the side but no of course not why would it have gone anywhere else but right at the girl who has fainted and has closed her eyes and is laying on the stage this thing flies and you see the audience's head go whoa as this is right because because i'm sure they think like wow what's happening this is cool or yeah or you know the fans who know the show are going oh, right oh. people who know the show they're like this is not right this is not this is not the staging so it flies over and that thing clocks her on top of the head on a perfect perfect hit oh my gosh and oh my gosh. it was right right on top of her head and I was stunned. I didn't know what to do. I had, I had to go on with the scene, obviously. So I go over to her, and what we do is we we bend down to her head and we adjust the we adjust the cape over her, and, and then we sing to her and the audience and the sign, "Help me make the music of the night" with that note of the night the whole time. I had to go sit down by her head. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com. In front of the audience, as if nobody just saw what happened <laughs> and continue the scene. And I did. And her eyes, she was fluttering. She was in so much pain. And she was sitting there with tears in her eyes. And I was so embarrassed and so sad. I, I just, I went on with it because we were about to have a blackout. And we sang it, and then there's the blackout. And it was a long blackout, I will tell you, because they had mm -hmm. to go tell the understudy that she's going to be on, and they took her, and they took her into the office, and then they had to take her to the uh, emergency room to get checked out because that's a head injury. And then we had to go on with the show. And it was the most unbelievable scene that you could imagine to even describe, to describe it with you now, it's like, how how would you ever come up with that concept? And then at the end, I went in the office and he's, you know, that he said, I I, I don't even know what to say. Right. I guess. Like, like how I, did that even happen? That Exactly. But now I own a part of the uh, the staging because we, as the phantoms, we go over to the cape and we don't swoosh it from the boat. We pull it up 
make sure the boat pole is not attached, walk away <laughs> right? from the boat, and then do it. Then because, swoosh. Oh, that poor girl. Yeah, yeah. I I assume she was okay at the end. Yes, I was just about to say that. Thank you. Um, she she actually was just fine. Um, the doctors were you know, cautious, but she she didn't have a terrible injury it was just very painful at the time because she yeah. didn't even know what was happening her eyes are closed laying on the floor and clock you know just oof but she's fine her head's fine she forgave me and uh and i didn't get fired that's the big takeaway the second big takeaway that, that she's not hurt and i didn't get fired so at this point how long had you been doing the role of phantom i i must have been there seven eight years by this point Okay. So it was like rote to you. I mean, you knew what you were doing, so it wasn't, yeah. It was an absolute fluke. Yeah, exactly. It was, wow. I'm thinking about it now and I'm having like a little bit of a, my heart's fluttering. Like, oh God. (laughs) When doing the role of Phantom, I mean, obviously it's this iconic, like worldwide character. Does that pressure ever come to you or was that really toward the beginning, but now it's more settled than you? You know what? That pressure comes to me nearly every time. Because if it's not the audience has a great expectation, the the sing the that sing through is is epic and it's hard and not a lot of people can do it. A lot of people can do it, but not a lot of people can do it successfully and great. And so there's that pressure. And then the staging is so detailed that I get caught up in all the 5,000 things we have to do in the staging to correctly do the performance. But on top of that, my bosses are Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cameron McIntosh. And they can (laughs) be in the audience at any time. So it's It's never like, yeah, I'm Phantom today. We're going to be all right. Let's just have a good time. Every day is like, I am taking this so seriously. (laughs) It is... It's iconic and it's large and the expectation is so big that you you take care of that role like it's your mother's best china. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and when it comes to your own performance, obviously, you know, as any performer, there are days when we're in great vocal shape, some days we're not. Is that a difficult role to navigate if you're not 100%? If you're, yeah, exactly. If you're not 100%, that role is is rough and you've got to warm up and you've got to relax and you've got to trust it and uh and you can't think about what's happening in act two where you have another 12 a flats to belt out you just you have to go moment to moment and relax because if you start getting yourself worked up i think it you drain that stamina twice as fast yeah, because those last 13 minutes of the show, which are some of my favorite moments of the show, and it, when the climax and everything's kind of coming together for Raul and Phantom and Christine, that's a marathon there at the end. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, you get used to it, though. I, I I love that you used the word marathon because the show is a marathon, but you know, marathon runners get up and can do it no problem. And then go have a beer and a steak and go back to work because they train for it and they practice and they're in shape for it. And that's, that's when people ask why we rehearse so much. And I think that that's one of the big reasons and it keeps us in shape and we are ready on a moment's notice to do an epic role without fail. And I don't know what I want to say. It's uh, it, it's it's rough, but we are in great shape. That's what I want to say. We are in very good shape. I worry. I you know what's funny is the pandemic happened, and we all came back to work. I don't think any of us realized how good of shape we were in because we came back to sing and we were absolutely struggling like crazy. Oh my god, oh, this I song bet. is impossible, and it took a while to get back into shape and really just be able to rip it out like that eight times a week. The stamina of doing eight shows a week is certainly something that every performer has to train for and be able to maintain. But there is also a stamina for auditioning. 
going in time and time again to sing 32 bars or perform a monologue or go through a scene with a reader or another actor. This takes preparation and constant readiness for whatever may come at you in the audition room. Now, this is especially true when it's a role that you have either done before or have auditioned for many times previously. You have to bring a fresh energy to it each time. Well, in this week's audition story, Jeremy talks about one of the many times he has auditioned for Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. Although this time he tried a different take on the character with hilarious results. To get bonus episodes like these, become a monthly or yearly subscriber and earn the title of Win Me Producer. You'll be helping maintain and sustain this podcast while also getting extra conversations with guests like Jeremy. Just go to whyillnevermakeit.com and click subscribe or look for the link in the show notes. Well, for story number two, we get to the other male lead in the show, Raul. And I believe this was one of the first times that you were doing the role of Raul. And there's a certain bridge jump that happens where Raul has to jump into this very small hole on the floor. <laughs> and, right. so, and so on this particular night, it didn't really go exactly as planned. So describe this jump for us and, and why it's so nerve wracking. Oh my gosh. The jump is, it's a 15 foot jump from a bridge in the middle of the stage through the stage floor into the basement onto a crash mat. And as I gassed on, you, you know, crash mats, because mm -hmm. that ending scene is it, some directors want you to fall backwards on a mat, some down, but it's not the most comfortable jump of your life. It's a little unnerving because things can happen. Well, in this case, we have to jump through a cut in the stage about the size of a coffin, which you'll be in if you miss. And it takes a lot of skill to jump through that. They hire a stunt team to show you the, the stunt. And there's a lot of safety measures taken to make sure that we don't die. Um, but it still feels that way. Some of the guys love it. They jump and they go, <laughs> they jump <laughs> up from the thing, from the bridge and into the floor. And I, every time I put my leg over, I look out into the audience and, and wonder if this is my last time. <laughs> it's, now, no, do you go feet first or is it you more go, like you, you start go, to go heart? Feet first. Yes. You okay. go feet first. And then you, there's a line on the mat that you crash your heels to, and then you have to fall forward in, into the mat. And then there's a hydraulic lift that brings you down to the basement because they, they lift the pad up. And as soon as you hit it, the hydraulic lift lowers to uh, take you out so they can close all the, the doors. So I, I looked over and on this night, my, my very first night, I was so consumed with that jump and I thought, Oh God, man, this is, this is rough. I, it's fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. The whole night I'm singing and doing the show. All I can think about was the jump and it came to the jump and I looked over and I jumped into the pit and luckily everything was fine. So I was very happy. And now we get to the ending scene and I am lit up because that part of the show is done I'm like this let's finish this boys <laughs> my adrenaline is I, it's at peak level at this point and so if you've seen the show you know that Raul's in a noose at the end because the phantom puts a noose around his neck so that he can he, he's stuck and then he can yell at him and sing and they have their little trio but I started noticing a bunch of people coming into the sides of the stage uh off stage and they're looking at me and watching the show i'd been in the, sh the show had been open 20 years by this point and they're watching and they're smiling and i i just couldn't help but be overwhelmed by the fact that the cast is watching from the wings after 20 years and supporting the new kid at this role it was really sweet and more and more people came and they're just with the big smiley faces we got to the end of the show and we're taking our bows and the ensemble comes out and they all, then there are three lines. It's a huge ensemble. There's three lines of them. And then they split open the middle of the stage and the Rao comes in and he turns the corner and walks straight up the middle of the stage to the audience. Well, I turned the corner to take my bow. And it was at that moment that 
I understood why they were smiling and laughing and having a great time because luckily I made that jump, but my pants did not. I had split my back of my pants all the way from the top down to the back of the leg. Now, wait, wait, all the way down to your leg, all the way down to the back of my knee. Oh my gosh. Like did, did, and you just, didn't feel it. I annihilated these pants. Yeah. I didn't feel it. Cause my adrenaline is just going nuts. Right. Maybe there's a cold, cold draft or something, but I'm not paying attention. <laughs> and they're laughing and laughing and laughing. And I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of wearing these things, but there's like a dance belt involved with this costume. Oh boy. So I'm cheeks to the wind, dude. (laughs) So I go out and I take my bow and I'm smiling at the audience and I'm smiling at the cast at the same Uh time, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) With your other cheeks, yeah. Oh, my God. I I mean, I leaned into it like in, in the most literal way I absolutely leaned into it and let them see my cheek and they were just they were dying the cast fell out they were like, ah. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's, I'm not the only one it happens to I'm sure well, how, why were you not able to get new pants or change is it just because of the blocking and there's just no time or yeah there's no time for it there's I had that one pair of pants at the time because it's my first show oh right yeah you, you get your one understudy clothes and that's it yeah, yeah that's all you hit that's it. Oh but now I have God. a spandex gusset in my in my pants so that it can take the force. <laughs> <laughs> so it can stretch with wherever yeah. you need to go. Boink. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's a common thing for Riles because the, the force of that jump is 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 big. I can imagine. Yeah. And and especially if you tighten up any, then the then you know it it's gotta stretch with you. That's you know, right. It's gotta move with you. That's oh right. my gosh. Now, when it comes to performing Raul and Phantom, obviously these are the two male leads and they're both after Christine. So that's where they, what they have in common, but obviously they're different roles. How do you play both of them differently? Oh, well, Raul's very entitled and he kind of walks around the world like, you're welcome. Hi, I'm Raul. You're welcome. Very Gaston, (laughs) right? Uh, And so you kind of drive, drive the evening with charm and with entitlement and it's just it's very you put your shoulders back and you you sing like you deserve everything that's happening to you and you you go for it and there's concern for her there's moments in the show where you kind of um you're not as concerned for her as much as you just tell her how to be i'm gonna fix you and i'm gonna be this and on the opposite side of that the phantom is very vulnerable he's he kind of puts on a front where he wants everybody to think he's put together but he's absolutely 100 percent insecure and it's fun to play because everything that doesn't go the way he planned in his head takes him back and he has to reassess the situation and try again and try this tactic and try this tactic where Raul, everything i say happens and with Phantom, everything I say doesn't happen. And it, it works really nicely when you have a nice partner on stage, because when they know that they need to react for you so that the story can come out the way it's supposed to, it's it can be rather fun. But the, the two parts are, are vastly different. You are correct. They're both tall, leading men, but uh, the, our, our journey is, is quite different. And is there one that you enjoy more than the other? I mean, obviously, oh, they're, they're very different. Oh, Phantom all the way. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's oh please. It's it's the title role of like the most successful <laughs> musical of all time. There's not even a comparison. Um and as as I advance in age, I, I'm interested in in Rao less and less and less. <laughs> yeah, th- yeah. Like has your I guess growth in either role changed as you say with aged? Have you brought different nuances to both characters absolutely yeah as as a phantom i've, I've become more still and more uh, uh more confident in knowing it doesn't take much to put out what you're saying there's the, the, i guess there's a stillness with age that i had to earn because i i went into the show as a young puppy <laughs> and, and in that kind of way and very boisterous and and uh and now i'm i'm 
calmer and do everything with intent and purpose and I don't waste movement. And I think that that, uh, that's a big how thing. He was, he always strive for that with the phantoms and it took me a long time to learn it. And with age, it came naturally. Yeah. Because there is a certain, I guess, manic approach that you can go at phantom. Cause he is, he's, he's kind of desperate. He's trying to win her. He's, he's a little crazy at times. So there is that, but as you say, it's really in the stillness that gives him his strength and power. Yeah, absolutely. There's when you're regal, if you watch people who are, uh, the English royal family, they don't waste a movement. They don't waste time. They just, they know exactly what to say at all, all times. They kind of, they they shake your hand and nod and are very polite and move on to the next person in the in the best way. And then you get like rock stars who, who kind of approach everything like, what's up, dude? You know, and there's just this whole version of the, how those people approach life. And to be regal takes practice and uh, experience, I think. Well, being with the show for 15 years, you've not only grown, obviously, in your role and your experience with it, but you've had a chance to meet and work with a lot of people. And so for story number three, you wanted to talk about a certain performance that you got to have with one of your own idols, Anthony Warlow. What was that experience like? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I didn't know he was going to be a part of this. I, I do a lot of press stuff for press stuff that's that's a real descriptive version there um i i do a lot of uh i go on the road and promote the show at huge conferences um sometimes they have television spots or they'll have uh in this case they roasted the mayor at the end of the year the press corps roasts him and then he roasts them back and so this is mike bloomberg who has endless funds so he hired four Broadway musicals to come in and do uh, 15 minutes of each musical where he would star in it. And it was rewritten to roast the entire press corps. <laughs> oh my God. It was awesome. So he hired Nice Work If You Can Get It, Annie, Phantom, and uh, Rock of Ages. And he did a little skit with each of these entire productions. Um for me, for Phantom, it was easy because they just sent to Christine and myself. A lot of times, the reason I do it, by the way, is because the Phantoms have to do the show. I can go in and out of the show and it's not as taxing to the people who paid to see the show as <laughs> right. for the, the lead guy to leave. They're like, why is he not here? What, we just bought the ticket for the show. Where's he? Oh, he's doing something else. Great. Thanks. Right. There's a there's a stigma to it. So they have to keep him in the show. So I get to do the really cool stuff. And so I walk into the first rehearsal, which was at Gracie Mansion, which already was really cool. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Gracie Mansion, but it is, it's mm -mm. A, a historic site and it is kept up. I, I think it's maybe against the law to have dust or anything dirty at this place. It's so <laughs> immaculate. We walk in and we sit down. I'm like, wow, look at all these people. And then Warlow walks in. And I, to tell you, I have my entire life, my entire theater life, since I've discovered that I wanted to do this, I found this guy on the symphonic recording of Les Mis, and all I want to do is listen to this guy sing and be him. And I bought every one of his albums. I had them all shipped from Australia. They cost me like 40 bucks a piece, and I was all, all day, all night, all Warlow. He walks in the room. And I start sweating. <laughs> like there's beads of sweat just pouring down my hair. And my conductor looks at me and she goes, What's wrong? And I go, Anthony Warlow just walked in the room. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And she looks at me and she goes, Oh my God, that's so cute. Do you want to go meet him? He's wonderful. It's like, what? What do I want to do? Wait, what? Do I want to meet Anthony Willow? Yes, I know. No, yes, no, yeah, no, don't, no, no. You know, and I, I absolutely was the funniest thing because she had put up the Australian production of Phantom, which to where he was the Phantom there. And she she knows him very well. And she walks, Anthony, come here. I want you to meet Jeremy. I'm like, oh my God. 
And, you know, I did the same thing. I'm sure every baritone on the planet does. I think you're the greatest. I wanted to be you when I grew up. I did the whole thing. And he goes, <laughs> yeah. And he had the whole stock answer for me because he'd done it so many times. And he was really sweet, though. He hung out with me for two weeks and we just chatted and chatted and chatted. And two weeks I, now. Oh, 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 in rehearsing this bit or whatever. Yeah, we rehearsed. Okay. Because the mayor is very busy. So we just kind of, over a two week period, he had time that he carved out to do all this amongst running the city of new york right yeah he has and, other uh, time so what was yeah. what was anthony's role in this how, how are you he was daddy him? warbucks ah right right so and then we get to the finale and i no kidding they put me right next to warlow so he and i are standing in the finale next to each other. i'm like this is the greatest moment of my life right now this is so awesome and uh it, I, I just to especially to be the phantom in front of Anthony frickin' Warlow <laughs> was so real. But, and it was awesome because, I mean, I got to know who he is. He's a jokester and he's a, he's always on. He's entertaining people backstage, side stage, everything. He's got a joke for everything. And he's just constantly moving in his brain. What, like, uh, Robin Williams kind of brain, right? He's just, what's the next joke? What's the next joke? All right, all right. It was it was crazy to be around him. And uh, I'll never forget it. Like, uh, I, to meet your idol is, I, I don't know how many people get to do that, but to meet your idol and not be disappointed, I don't know how many people ever get to do that. <laughs> right, right, right. And, ha- and have them be as wonderful as you hope they would be. Yeah, totally. It was wild. And you've also met a few other people, or you've shared dressing rooms, you've been at these events, and two of them are Denzel Washington, huge, and Brian Cranston. I mean, two amazing actors. What led you to meet both of these guys? Check this out. I, I So I was doing the what they call the Easter bonnet. This is another thing. They wanted Hugh Panera to sing. Uh, the, there's an ending anthem song that they do every year. And they hire a, a star to come in and do it. And Hugh was sick as a dog. So I had to pinch hit for him. I had to come in and learn this song and sing it at the end. So I I went in Hugh Panero's place. So I get there and I get my dressing room. And my dressing room is, I see on the door, Denzel Washington, Jeremy Stoll, Brian Cranston. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. Are you kidding? I've been in this situation so many times now. I can't even explain to you. It's crazy. And it's because they want the phantom. It's not like they're like, bring that Jeremy Stoll kid over here. And they're like, bring the phantom. So, you know, it's it. I get to be an iconic character amongst titans of the industry. So I'm in the room and I'm sitting there. I'm just going over lyrics and I'm going over lyrics and I'm really working on it. And all the handlers bring in Denzel Washington. And I'm going, oh, my God, that's Denzel Washington. Cool, cool. And so I just continue. He's a little irritated at this point because they brought him in hours before they want him to go on and he's got stuff to do, right? There's there's things going on in his life and he's got to sit there for two hours before he goes on because they need to know he's in the building. And he looks at me and he goes, man, did they make you come in early? And I go, yeah. Yeah, they did. I, I... You know, I think they just really need to know that we're here and can't worry about that stuff. So that's kind of normal around here. And he goes, yeah, that makes sense. So he's just sitting there. He's got his arms folded and he didn't want to talk to anybody. He's just kind of working out his his pain. <laughs> and then this was during the time of Breaking Bad, right? I'm sitting on the couch. He's sitting on the couch on the other side. I'm leaving him alone I'm because I'm assuming that everybody's always wanting to get to know him and not talk to him. So I just I let, I let him be. I let him be in his own thing. Brian Cranston walks in the door and he looks over at Brian Cranston and then some handlers came in to talk to him. So he was, he wasn't paying attention to us. I'm not kidding you. Denzel Washington leaped up from the other side of the room out of his couch, jumps next to me, grabs my jacket and pulls me in towards him. He goes, yo man, is that Cranston? And he is like, he is giddy, like like a high school girl who just saw Taylor Swift on the street. Or so it was crazy, and he is absolutely trying to conduct himself and trying to pull himself together because he's so happy. He goes, "Oh my god, oh my god, okay, all right, all right, okay." And he he 
I watched him collect himself for a second and then walk up and introduce himself to Brian Cranston because he was so blown away to be in the room with him. <laughs> it was like, that is the moment I knew there's never an end. There's never, you're never made it. You're never there because right. there's always something more. <laughs> like, are you kidding? Just me? like you were with Warlow, he is now like fanboying oh, Cranston. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was so thrilled to see him. I was, I, I, I don't think that'll ever leave my head. Yeah, it was, it was, that was neat to see. I've seen that several times actually in my life where big stars, you know, get all giddy around another big star. They get giddy or their insecurity comes out or, I I shared an elevator with Brooke Shields and she was absolutely just going on about, it was for a crest commercial, which I think she got. Um, and she's just sitting there and just going over the commercial. Like, God, I hope I get it. I don't know what they're going to, they like me. I did this. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, this is the future. Like if you become Brooke Shields, this, and you're still insecure about an audition. This is, this is, this is my nightmare right now. It was crazy. It's nuts. But that is like there's there's comfort in it a bit because it's like okay even the big stars go through it but then yeah you're like wait a minute so I'm going to do this 20 30 years reach a certain level of success and I'm still going to worry about it and I'm still going to be like, insecure <laughs> oh like, my what? god yeah yeah that's kind of crazy that 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 sort of nervousness excitement I guess that that never really leaves us I guess because we care yeah because it means something to that's, us that's what it comes down to we we really care you're putting out a product and you you take pride in it. And it's you and you want you want to be good and yeah, amazing to see that happen on that level. Well, it gets back to what you were saying about the fandom. As much as you've done it now, these past fifteen years, you're you're comfortable in the role itself, but there is always still that pressure of being the phantom. So you have to you have to like step into it. But you also at the same time, there's the pressure of that you give yourself or I give myself, I can't speak for everybody, but I want to be better every time. Every time I do it, I want to be better. And I want the next time to go even better and even better. And you're always striving towards perfection that you can never get to like space in the beyond. There's no end to it, but you just keep searching. You keep going. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if anybody ever goes, I'm finally done with this role. I have completed everything I need to do. I have done it perfectly. No way. Stamp it, freeze it, cut it. Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been so fun to talk to you, Jeremy. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I, I've really enjoyed, you know, hearing stories that I, I didn't know about you, but also sharing in some uh <laughs> in some fun moments that we've had together. Yeah, I it's been awesome. Yeah, it's been fun visit. I feel like we just had a conversation at the at the local pub down the way, catching up, right? Well, well yeah, we'll have to like do it for real, you know, with drinks in hand next time. So we'll <laughs> I'm in. We'll do Let's do it. Thank you so much for joining Jeremy and myself today as we talked about all things Phantom of the Opera. I'd love to hear your stories as well. I mean, you must have your own connection with this long-running musical. Maybe you loved it, maybe you hated it. I just know that I would love to hear any experiences that you've had in connection with this iconic show. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at WinMePodcast, or just send along an email to it at gmail.com. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Background music is by Blue Dot Sessions and John Bartman. And while this may have been the last interview of the season, there's still a couple of more extra episodes coming your way. So stay tuned next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.